What's going on, everybody? Welcome into another edition of the Final Whistle Sports Podcast. As always, I am your host, Blaine Spencer. It has concluded. Everyone's hearts are breaking for roughly the next six months as the NFL season has finally concluded with the Los Angeles Rams on home soil taking home the Super Bowl over the Cincinnati Bengals winning 23 to 20. The postseason that could argue arguably be the greatest one ever produced in the final game as well. And what can you say about the grittiness of Matthew Stafford and Cooper Cup? Oh, let's just take the ball 79 yards down the field for the Lombardi Trophy on the line. A fade route from Matthew Stafford, one yard pass to Cooper Cup with 125 remaining to end up taking the Super Bowl. And it wasn't like Sean McVay was trying to make sure that, oh, we have to make sure Cooper Cup is the placeholder, guinea pig whatsoever. Whoever was covering him, tooth, double coverage, triple coverage, they were going his way. It did not matter. The Bengals tried to defend it, but they couldn't stop him whatsoever. Fourth and one. What do you run? A jet sweep to cup. Then next play, triple coverage. He splits. The Bengals brought a little bit of a pressure there. He gets open for another large gain. Then there could have been the argue of controversy down on when they got down to the goal line. Controversial holding call on Logan Wilson. That was probably a ticky-tack call, but then the one to, on a Eli Apple clear holding call trying to prevent cup from getting to the outside led to the penalty. But where is the justification of on that fade route that, you know, it's going to cup, you know, it, we all knew it. And yet you still only went man to man. You would think that you would push the safety all the way up the field at that point. Yeah. He's on the outside, but you know, Stafford was going to go to him. They couldn't run the ball all game, and they still went his way. And the greatest, one of the greatest wide receiver seasons, arguably maybe the best wide receiver season ever, Triple Crown winner, Super Bowl now MVP, led the league in receptions, touchdowns. It just couldn't get any better, and Cooper Cup continued to produce week in and week out. But on the flip side, what can you say about the Cincinnati Bengals, a team that pretty much everybody didn't expect to be here? What a turnaround. Joe Burrow and this offensive firepower continues to show up and show out. Chase made that gorgeous one-handed grab past Ramsey. Yeah, Jalen Ramsey did end up getting a face mask that didn't go his call go his way. When T. Higgins at the start of the second half took the ball 75 yards. But T. Higgins, Uzama, Mixon, and 
this is just going to stick in my head when Cincinnati got the ball at the end of the game. I get it. You had third and one. You give it to P. Ryan. He doesn't get there because Aaron Donald decided to take the game over when Cincinnati's offensive line pretty much pushed him after the hit on Burrow. That was a clean hit, by the way. But then on fourth and one, you, you completely take that out of your hands. You throw the ball. And Aaron Donald gets the pressure. And for me, I get uh, they had pretty much on fourth and one, they had in multiple scenarios in that game, we're going to, we're throwing the ball or fourth and two, fourth and one. They threw the ball every time. But how do you not have Joe Mixon in the game in crunch time? He's an athletic back. Yeah, he's not great in pass protection. But who cares at that point? You're trying to get the ball into their hands, your best players. And you have him on the sideline. He had had a solid game running the football. So I would think you would have put him in there on third down. You run it twice. And if you don't get it, you lose that way. It was so – I get – and I keep flashing back to Seattle, New England. When you have Marshawn Lynch in the backfield and you decide to throw the ball, it just is mind-bottling to me. I get it. It's a different situation. They're closer to midfield. They're not on the goal line. No timeouts in that retrospect for Cincinnati. Or they had one, excuse me, one timeout. But it's like, come on. Give him the football. Make sure you get the first down first. Don't worry about what's going to take place after that. All you needed was a field goal, and you, Evan McPherson, as a rookie, has showcased that he is absolutely automatic when you need him the most. Did not miss a kick in the postseason. But that's all, again, in retrospect, hypotheticals. Personally, for me, if I was in that situation, I would be handing the ball off to Joe Mixon. Does a, do I have a little bit of bias? Yeah, because I saw Joe Mixon up close and personal in high school. The man used to kick my butt in track and field. I always thought I had him for about 60 meters because I was a better person out of the blocks. And then he hit a gear that I am not capable of ever hitting in my entire life. And he would smoke me in the 100 meter dash. But that's, again, that's just me. I've seen Joe up close and personal. Man's a freak. And I would be giving him the ball. But all in all, successful season for Cincinnati. They can't. So they should be holding their heads high. It didn't end the way they wanted. And partially you can blame me because I didn't get a single pick right in the post in the last like three weeks of the postseason. So and I picked Cincinnati to win that game 28-24. Thought they were going to get it done. Matthew Stafford found a way. Cooper Cup found a way. Aaron Donald took over that football game. And he should have been the MVP. But, like always, 
they end up going with someone that's an offensive player. Other than Super Bowl 50 when Von Miller took home the MVP of the Super Bowl, you don't see defensive players get it. It's rarefied air. But the man took over the football game in the second half, and he was the reason they closed it out. He took over the game. They started to go with a great game plan as well by Raheem Morris. They overloaded one side, which would force Aaron Donald to get one-on-one after he was getting double-teamed and triple-teamed consistently in the first half. And we weren't really talking about him. And then we were starting to question whether or not he was going to be that focal point that was needed for the team's success. And then they made that switch. They showed a little bit of glimpses of it in the first half, not much. And you could see that it was sort of working, sort of not working. But then they fully committed to that overload on one side the entire rest of the second half. And Aaron Donald showed you that he is in the conversation as the greatest defensive player ever. No one can stop him one-on-one. Impossible. Nobody. You can maybe get lucky on a run play, but in a pass pressure, nothing. And think about it. On that third and one, he has one arm pinned on the offensive lineman, and he grabs Pirine with his other arm, and then it looks like he's going to guarantee the first down. And with his strength, pulls Pirine back, forces him not to fall forward. He falls forward. It's a first down. Remarkable stuff. And then he gets the pressure on the fourth down, holds his hand to the fin- ring to the f- his hand- finger. Give me that ring. I've done it. And now potential retirement. Yeah, he's only 30 years old. Personally, will I think he hang it up? No, I don't think he will. He's still in his prime, still the best defensive player in football. I don't think it's really close either, but because he's a defensive tackle, you're not going to put us up as drastic numbers as everyone else. But he has now put himself, and you can argue, either Aaron Donald or Lawrence Taylor as the greatest defensive player ever. I don't think he's third. I think he's one or two. And then you're splitting hairs at that point. That's how dominant Aaron Donald really is. And he should have been the MVP. Now, one can argue, if you're trying to argue Matthew Stafford, why? Because, yeah, he made the plays when they needed him to the most. And he had been doing that his entire career. Did that in Detroit. Did that show the case that in this postseason? When they needed a drive, Matthew Stafford showed up. And that's why he has the most game-winning drives since he's come into the league. But still, two interceptions. You can kind of give him one and a half to the two. The first one was completely on him. He forced the ball downfield, hoping that he can outthrow the safety, underthrew it. Safety got the interception in the end zone. The second one. Yeah, Skoranek should have flipped his hands the other way. He reaches out like this, not like this, but still. He led him too far. Ball gets tipped. That's all she wrote. 
interception number two. So Matthew Stafford, I'd never thought was in the conversation. It should have been Aaron Donald, but they're never going to defensive players don't get the recognition they truly deserve in the biggest moments in the biggest games, unless it's like a blowout and they put up crazy numbers. And then you can argue actually that it was if Odell doesn't get hurt, he was the most valuable player on the field before he went out. Because they were shading to Cooper Cup. OBJ was getting that one-on-one. And he was exploiting the Cincinnati Bengals. A touchdown. He had already had over 50 yards receiving at that point. And he was going to continue to rack up numbers. I expect he was going to have easily over 100 yards. He was on pace for that. And I, I get it. It's a freak play. But you can partially put that on Matthew Stafford. And if you're really thinking about it, because he throws it behind, forces Odell to slow down, and then his knee buckles when he's trying to slow up after he's slow up. And then he drops the ball. And then that's all she wrote. Will people blame Stafford? No. But if you watch it, the play again yeah it's not very far behind him but it's still on his back hip he throws it in stride Odell's not hurt because he's still running at full speed but again that can happen at any moment of time I'm not gonna deep dive into it that much but that's what happened if you really watch the tape you can, you can put part of that on Matthew Stafford. Nobody will. I'm going to say it out loud because I think it needs to be said. Because now Odell has, now it's both knees that have had significant injuries. We don't know the full extent of this one. But it's alarming. And then what do you do from here for Cincinnati? And what do you do for the future in Los Angeles? I'm assuming that they're going to bring most of their pieces back. They're going to try and run it back. They have Robert Woods coming back. Stafford's back. Will OBJ come back? I, I think he will because he didn't get to get put in the full say that he actually wanted, but he could easily be a top. He's a number one option anywhere in this league. But if he stays in Los Angeles, he's either two or three, arguably, in that offense because we already know Cooper Cup is a stud and the number one receiver in Matthew Stafford's eyes rightfully so with the kind of year he puts together Cincinnati it's a little bit more of a struggle they're going to be probably the third or fourth best team arguably going into this year and if you are the Bengals you better put every draft pick every free agent signing better be an offensive lineman and then you kind of just figure out and piece together what you're looking for because in that second half, they were blitzed like crazy. And their offensive linemen struggles truly showcased themselves in that second half. I believe it was six sacks alone in the second half, seven for the game. It was absolutely absurd. And I personally thought they were going to beat Tennessee's record. That's how easy they were getting to Joe Burrow. And Joe, Joe Cool played a solid game, 
but he didn't look the same at the end of that game, especially after he got himself hurt on one of them sack, one of those sacks, and got rolled up on. Cincinnati, going into the next year, going to be a lot of potential. They're going to score a lot of points, but you got to protect Joe Burrow. Your defense showed significant improvement. Twenty-three points, giving up. That's that's a win in my eyes in a Super Bowl. If you're holding teams to roughly under 24 points or less, you've given your team a significant shot at winning. And that's what they did. And they had that chance at the end to win. They just came up short. Los Angeles Rams are your Super Bowl champions. And they're going to be the clear front runner in the NFC, in my opinion. You don't know what's going to happen in Tampa Bay with Bree. You know what you're going to get with Aaron Rodgers, his situation in Green Bay going to be truly intriguing to see how this all unfolds but now we have to patiently wait till the draft as well as free agency and just those are the NFL headlines in that regard this is always sometimes a struggle especially after football logistically ends to try and figure out where you're going to go from here but before we wrap up this episode, I do want to talk about the Winter Olympics. And I know a lot of people have been focusing on football. But if you guys have not been tuning in, you guys have been missing out. The Winter Olympics have been absolutely phenomenal. I personally watch alpine skiing and the snowboarding just because it really catches my eye. And I've always wanted to be a snowboarder and or, and or skier and try and do stuff like that. But I can't even get myself onto the board or onto the skis and even go down the hill just on a flat surface. So that will never work out for me, but it's really intriguing. The hockey's been really good. It's pretty much USA Canada in that retrospect in the men's and women's side. And especially Sean White had his final hurrah, finished fourth, came up just a little bit short of a medal podium. But then Hirano from Japan almost got the Olympic goal taken away from him because of awful judging and it's not just coming from the half pipe you're having complaints coming from the slope style at big air you're just the snowmore judges are getting ripped to shreds and rightfully so and it all started with Hirano landing a triple cork on the half pipe never been landed before and two judges gave him a low ball of a score of an 89 and a 90 on his second run and you put him in the silver medal position, and then what he's, he shuts everybody up on his third and final run. That should have been probably – they gave him a 96 total, and they still lowballed his score because I think they were just hoping that Sean White would honestly put a run down so they could put him into podium position, even though he probably wasn't going to beat the other two guys, Carano anyway, as well as I can't think of the guy off the top of his head, my head right now. The, the fellow from Australia, that he had nothing in his arsenal that could have competed with those two runs. And you could see it. everyone was congratulating Hirano, trying to say, hey, you want you if you don't win this medal off of that run, you're a scapegoat for the Olympics. And it would have been looked really bad. And it doesn't help that it's the United States of America judge that was has been the 
one being ridiculed the most of lowballing participants. But those have been fantastic. Michaela Schifrin has really struggled in these Olympics, DQ'd twice in her first two events, questioning everything. She got back as has not produced as well as we had hoped her to, but she has finished a couple races the last two, including last night's downhill, where she finished roughly in the 15 to 20 range. But she's back in. She really had been trying to figure out herself mentally that it wasn't connecting what she was seeing in practice, what she was putting on on race day, which led to those first two did not finishes. And then figure skating has been a l intriguing tricks that they can do is absolutely absurd, but I will again. And then you have the controversy with the Russian skater I can't say her name very well, Valiova, the 15-year-old testing positive for a heart drug that didn't come back from until last week or this upcoming, this past week that she got tested before Christmas for. And she's 15 years old. You don't, you can't really fully blame her for the situation because you don't know how, what she truly knows about it and how everyone else is, if they their trainer or coach had given her the drug without her knowing or the full extent of whether or not it was because the girl is so young and she's arguably one of the best in the world already at the age of 15. But now with that, with football over, you guys should be tuning in. It usually starts around five o'clock on NBC uh, Pacific time, eight Eastern. Just you got just tune in a little bit because the stuff that they are doing out there is pretty spectacular. And I get it. It's not the Summer Olympics. There's not much hype over it or drama, but it's the Olympics. Go tune in. It's been absolutely insane to watch. Like Eileen Goo in the big air for the women's and alpine skiing. Final run goes for a crazy air to take the gold away. That was a couple days ago. It's been fantastic. Go tune in. But with football done, Final Whistle is going to start talking a little bit more about basketball, NBA, college basketball. We got a special announcement potentially coming later today. So tune into the social media. We're going to have some great stuff coming in the works. But I want to appreciate all of you. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Final Whistle Sports Podcast. I am your host, Blaine Spencer, signing off. Have a good day, everybody.